This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to worship him today with another portion of scripture reading. We'd like to invite our brother Elijah to come read for us. Uh, today's scripture reading will be taken from Colossians chapter 4, verse, uh, verses 2 to 6. It would be best if you could have your hard copy Bibles, or if not, you can just refer to the slides. Colossians chapter 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, we want to thank you for bringing us here this rainy morning. Just pray that you will help us to know how to respond to Jesus saving us and watching over us. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, before we actually begin today's sermon, I just want to clarify something from last week. So last week I talked about the consumer mindset as well as, well as the therapeutic uh, culture. And I showed this uh, diagram, right, about how you know the therapeutic culture can stop us from seeing our sin and seeing an angry God, but uh, it actually may be a bit misleading to some people. And uh, I want to apologize for this slide because I think some people may have misinterpreted this slide, right? Because a few people spoke to me. So the first thing I want to say is actually therapy is good. Okay, so therapy is good. I think that, uh, you know, if we struggle with anxiety or depression or some sort of mental health issue, then I would encourage you to see a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, after all, my daughter-in-law is a psychologist, so I not say anything bad about the therapeutic therapy, right? Okay? So therapy is good. I'll encourage you to go and see a therapist if you need to, okay? In fact, I was just reading this book recently called When the Noise Won't Stop about my classmate who actually struggles with anxiety issues, and he highly recommends that you should seek psychiatric or psychology uh, therapy if you struggle with some of these issues like anxiety. Now, the issue I wanted to talk about last week was actually the therapeutic culture, right? Not therapy, but therapeutic culture, which is a worldview, a perspective of the world, which basically sees that my subjective feelings are the most important thing. It's more important than God, the reality of God, good or bad, right and wrong, right? So the most important thing is how I feel. Okay, so the therapeutic culture is actually uh, negative when it comes to a Christian worldview, la. Okay. And this therapeutic culture has actually been talked about in places like the New York Times, uh, in Christian uh, uh, commentaries. So I just want to clarify, okay, therapy is good. Okay. It's good, it's good, it's good. Joey, good, good. Joey, it's good, it's good, it's good. Okay, therapeutic culture is bad, okay? Okay, good. So let's start the sermon today. Okay, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians this morning. Now, I know many faithful Christians, mature Christians... They all take their faith very seriously. When you talk to them, what is really important as they grow in their faith? Some people would say, holy living or godliness is really important as a response to Jesus. Other people will say, rightly so, that Bible knowledge, right? Bible reading is very important as we grow as Christians. 
Other people will rightly say that fellowship, right? Christian fellowship, coming to church, going to Bible study, this is important as well as we grow in our faith. But one thing I think that perhaps we are lacking as evangelical Christians is we don't say that prayer is really important as a response to Jesus. And also sharing and witnessing to Jesus, something that maybe we may not see as important as well as our response of faith to Jesus. So I was talking to an older pastor who was a pastor of his church for many years, and there were many older, mature Christians there. And he was sharing with me that one of the, the negatives that he felt about his church was that there were these mature Christians in his church who had been Christians for decades, but had never tried to witness to Jesus. Not a single non-Christian person seemingly throughout their whole life. Now what does God think about this? What does God think about us as Christians if we fail to witness Jesus to non-Christians? Is this really faithfulness to Jesus Christ? Now today we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Colossians. Very important for us to always read things in context. Context is very important. So what is the context of the book of Colossians and the New Testament? First of all, it's trying to deal with a problem. The problem in the book of Colossians was Jesus plus something else. There was some sort of false teaching in the church. We don't know exactly what it is, very hard to pin down, but it's had something to do with Jesus plus. We can see this in the three verses in Colossians chapter 2. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come, the reality however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Now, immediately we see two of the Jesus plus problems here. First problem is Jesus plus ceremonial law-keeping. There's some sort of false teaching in the Colossian church which said that they had to watch what they ate, watch what they drank, had to keep religious festivals, new moon celebrations, and Sabbath days. There's another Jesus plus, again, which we don't quite understand, which delighted in the false humility and the worship of angels. Some sort of spiritual practice was happening within the Colossian church. So there was false teaching there, and Paul responded to this Jesus plus false teaching by saying, Jesus is all you need, right? This is all you need. You only need Jesus. So you, don't, you don't need anything more for Jesus than Jesus, right? So ceremonial law, spiritual practice, unnecessary because Jesus is all you need. He emphasizes this Jesus is all you need in three ways, right? The first way is Jesus is above all creation, right? The Son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation, right? For in Him, all things were created, Things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, authorities, rulers, all these things are created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is all you need because he is the sustainer, the creator of all things. And Jesus is all you need for salvation. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him reconcile himself to all things. Right. So you don't need Jesus plus because in Jesus, you have all the reconciliation you need. And lastly, Jesus is God, God over all. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. He's not lacking in any divinity. And in Christ, you've brought 
uh, you have been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. So the, the answer is not Jesus plus plus, but Jesus is all you need. Jesus is all you need for salvation. Jesus is all you need for kingdom. Jesus is all you need for glory. The second half of the book, Colossians, then deals with the response of faith in Jesus. When you trust in Jesus for all you need, then what should you do? Well, we're given a set of imperative verbs, right? Commands. Set your hearts and the things above. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature here. And rid yourself of all these sinful actions like rage, malice, and slander. And that's where today's passage comes in. See, the response to Jesus in faith is not just in morality, in ethical living, in sanctification, in godliness and holiness, but also in chapter 4, verse 2, there's another imperative verb, another command. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So as Christians, yes, we are to take godly living, holiness, sanctification with great seriousness. But with just as much seriousness, we also need to devote ourselves to prayer. This idea of devoting ourselves to prayer is the idea of persistence. Something you do continually, not casually. Something which is essential, not optional to the Christian life. Now this is a correction for me too, right? Because I ask myself, am I devoted to prayer? As I am to reading the Bible or to be godly? Or to fellowship. Because Paul says we must be devoted to prayer in our response to Jesus. Right? We must pray daily, weekly. We must, as a church, corporately, you know, see priority is in, in prayer. So here in BDPC, maybe we don't think of ourselves as much as a prayerful church. But this is the distinction that we need to have when we consider ourselves faithful to Jesus. We need to be prayerful to God. See, the danger, he says there, is that we need to be watchful. This word watchful here or is, 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 can be read as wakeful, wakefulness. It's the opposite of being drowsy or sleepy right, or drunk. It's like you see a soldier on sentry duty or a policeman on night patrol or you see a nurse or a doctor in the A&E department. You don't see them sleepy or drowsy or drunk, right? In the same way as Christians, we are not to succumb to spiritual lethargy, to being drowsy the things of this world. So I guess a take-home application for us is, are we devoted to prayer that way? Wakeful and watchful, right? Or are we kind of like taken into our spiritual lethargy by maybe TV or surfing the net or playing computer games or going on TikTok or YouTube? Right, are we devoted to prayer? Do we spend time praying to God as a matter of priority? Because that's what Paul says we need to do. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and it says here, thankful. The idea of thankfulness here is not being thankful for the daily things, but thankful in the book of Colossians to the eternal things. Paul has spoken about this thankfulness in chapter 1, being giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So thankfulness here is shaped by the eternal things that God has done for us. 
shaped by things that God has given us to be able to share in the inheritance of the saints, to be brought into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. And this is really important, right? Having this attitude of thankfulness. You know, sometimes uh, now that I get older, I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep. I notice that you're all young, so you all won't have that problem. But this is just a heads up to you, right? That one day when you get older, you may suffer from this problem. You know, you wake up and then you can't go back to sleep. And as you wake up, you find yourself worried about things, thinking about all these things which bother you. I remember thinking the other day as I was lying there in the middle of the night, thinking about this passage and thinking, you know, there's so much to give thanks for, which is eternal, which is permanent, which is never everlasting, right? And they all come because God has given us everything, given us all in Jesus. And when you are filled with that sort of thankfulness, you find that all the small things that you are distracted with become trivial. Right? Because in light of the permanent, in light of the, in light of the eternal, in light of Jesus and all that he's given us, salvation, kingdom, and glory, there's so much to be thankful for. And this is to then inform us as we pray, right? We need to pray with wakefulness and thankfulness. So for us today, I wonder whether we pray this way, whether we are devoted to pray this way, whether prayer is an essential characteristic of our life of faith before God. Now, Paul goes on in verse 3 to say, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Now, notice where Paul is right at this moment when he writes this book. He says that he's in chains. Now, I don't know about you guys, but for me, if I'm in Changi prison and I write to you to be devoted in prayer, I may say, be devoted in prayer and pray for me that I may be released from prison, right? I may be freed or somehow my, 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 my sentence may be commuted. But Paul doesn't pray, ask them to pray for that. He said, pray for us that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. Now, isn't that unusual, right? Unusual that he doesn't ask them to pray that he may be set free, but instead pray to proclaim Christ. But strange and unusual as well, because he doesn't say pray that we may proclaim the gospel of Christ, but he says proclaim the mystery of Christ. Why does he use this strange word, right? Now, when we think of mystery in the modern world today, we think of like detective mysteries, right? You know, murder mysteries. You can ask my wife, I love reading mysteries, right? I'm into my Nordic Scandinavian mystery phase, right? I'm reading all these Scandinavian mystery detective novels, right? But the mystery in the Bible is a sense in which you can't penetrate the mystery by detective work. You can't penetrate the mystery by being a, a logical thinker, right? In the Bible, especially in Colossians, the mystery is something that is hidden, right? In verse 26, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. So in the Bible, mystery is actually something hidden, but now revealed by God. And what is this mystery that has now been revealed? In verse 27, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, this is the mystery that in Christ, you have everything. You have all in Christ, and most importantly, you have the hope of glory. The hope of glory is that when Jesus comes, you will be with him again in his kingdom for eternity. For Paul, this mystery is so awesome, so magnificent, and so overwhelming that it doesn't matter whether he's in, in prison or not, he wants this mystery of Christ, the hope of glory, to be shared throughout the whole world, right? And this is what Paul is saying that he wants them to pray for, right? What do we pray for when we do pray? We pray for things, we pray for earthly things, we pray for maybe exam results, we pray for good schools, we pray for JC or poly or university. But Paul says, pray for the mystery of Christ to go out into the world so that they all may receive this hope of glory. Do you pray for that? Do you pray for people to know Jesus Christ so that they may have the hope of glory? Because that's such a big, awesome, magnificent, overwhelming thing, isn't it, for people? This is like eternal and permanent. And so Paul wants them not just to pray that this good news may be shared, but he also wants them to be part of the process of witnessing to Jesus. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now this uh, phrase here, make the most of every opportunity, is actually a one word in the, literal, in the original language, right? It's, uh, it's just make the most of every opportunity, it's just one word. It's uh, the idea of a shopper who is getting the best deal, right? Looking for discounts. And as Singaporeans, all of us here should be very familiar with that. Uh, even the Malaysians, right? Very, we're all very good at getting discounts. We go on Lazada or Shopee at 12.01 a.m. to get the best deal. We go to the travel fairs to get the best travel package. We go on Scoot and we try to find and scout out the cheapest flights to the best destinations, right? And that's what this passage and this phrase is saying, make the most of every opportunity in the same way where you want to share a witness for Jesus. So I wonder whether for ourselves, whether we, we have that same aggressive, I guess, attitude to looking for a discount as we are to want to witness for Jesus. See, there are a few evangelistic models that we have grown up with, right? So the first one is what we call the aquatic aquarium or the aquatic aquarium, uh, aquarium method, right? So this is like our, the aquarium. Okay, this is the aquarium where all the Christian fish are swimming in. We're all swimming in this aquarium. And so we have these evangelistic events, maybe Good Friday, Easter, and Christmas. And so we invite our friends to come into our aquarium three times a year in the hope that maybe we can Keep them in our aquarium, you know? We catch some fish and keep them together with us in our aquarium. I think that's great. I want to keep encouraging you to invite your friends, relatives, to keep coming. Good Friday, Easter, Christmas. But that's just three times in 52 weekends, right? 
that's kind of a bit limited, right? This aquarium method. The other method is what we call the safari method. So, you know, here we are in our Christian uh, home base. But every once in a while, we go out on safari to the hostile world out there and we try to ambush uh, some unsuspecting person to share the gospel with them, right? So maybe we do a gospel you know, presentation or you know, we go out to do door knocking or campus ministry or street evangelism. Now again, this is very beneficial. I became a Christian through uh, campus university work. Someone just walked up to me and asked me whether I knew Jesus. My wife was sitting on the campus lawn eating her lunch unsuspectingly when somebody came and ambushed her and asked her whether she knew about Jesus. So it works, right? But the reality is, how many of us actually go door knocking or street evangelism? Not many of us, right? And I have done street evangelism, I've gone beach evangelism, I've done door knocking and university work, and most people actually, when, they want, when you want to ask them whether they want to know about Jesus, they will say no. Lah. They will say, oh no, thanks, I'm, I'm very busy, right? everybody's very busy. But this is not what Paul is talking about here in this passage, right? He's not talking about the aquarium method, the three times a year method, or the safari method. But he's actually talking about something which is very different, which is the make the most of every opportunity method. So, you know, a few years ago, we had this uh, Pokemon Go craze, right? And everybody's walking around their handphones looking for virtual Pokemons everywhere. Now, do you all remember what is the catchphrase for Pokemon Go? Oh, yes, okay, Justin. Got to catch them all, right? Got to catch them all. That's the catchphrase for Pokemon Go, right? You got to catch them all. And that's what Paul is saying here, right? That's, that's what he's thinking of. You, you, you want to have the mindset where you got to catch every opportunity you have to witness for Jesus. So I have a security guard that I kind of chat to very regularly. And then I, I'm almost like asking him, talking to him, and he's saying, oh, do you know he used to live in this part of town when he was growing up, near St. Paul's Anglican Church. He used to go to school, and he had Christian classes, but now he goes to the temple. And so I kind of like asking him what he learned when he was growing up, and I was telling him, no, you really need to Believe in Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can forgive you of your sins. When I go to the barber, I, I was telling my barber the last time I had my hair cut, that, you know, I was telling my son not to get road rage, you know, and how you, know, you shouldn't get road rage because Jesus tells us that we need to forgive other people and so it's good to forgive people. These are like opportunities where you, you're just sharing Jesus in your everyday conversation, you're just grabbing opportunities where you're witnessing to Jesus. Uh, I remember Andrew Wong was telling us before, one of the meetings that we had, staff meetings, that before he became a pastor, he used to try to reserve every Monday so that he could have lunch with a non-Christian colleague. And the reason was because he wanted to build up relationships in the hope that there will be opportunities to share and witness Jesus with them. So that's what we need to do. We need to pray 
yes, devoted to prayer. And part of praying would be to share, to pray for opportunities to come so that we will be able to share and witness Jesus. The passage goes on to say, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, season, and salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, we understand what it means to be wise. What does it mean to be seasoned with salt? Well, in the ancient world, just as today, salt is used as something which uh, makes food tasty, right? I mean, like, nobody goes to McDonald's and says, can I have fries without salt? I mean, how can you, you know, if you ever have fries without salt, it's like tasteless, right? It's like French fries can, must be eaten with salt, right? So in the same way, salt was used in the ancient world to make things tasty, and, and that's what it means. So be wise, and when you talk to people, have your conversation seasoned with salt so that it's winsome, right? It's tasty, attractive. But the ancient world as well, salt was used as a preservative. In the days before refrigeration, how do you preserve your food? You put salt, right? It's like, you know, you have salt fish today, you have, uh, I don't know, what other stuff, you, you know, jerky or whatever, you have salt. And salt is like a preservative, right? You're, you're kind of purifying as an antiseptic, taking away the bad stuff. And so when we talk to people, we need to be wise in our conversation, but also have our conversation seasoned with salt. Now, how do we do that? Three ways I would suggest. The first way is we need to really hear what people are saying. I remember reading somewhere that the greatest act of love you can have to give to people is listening, right? To really listen and to give your time and effort to really listen is an act of love that you show to people. And when we listen to people, we really hear what they're saying, and we can hear things which, in a sense, show us that their worldview is actually jarring to what the Christian worldview is saying. So when people say, I believe all religions are true, then we know that as Christians, that's, that's not what the Bible is saying, right? And that's something that we can actually speak into. So I have a, a friend who's an Indian, who we've, I've invited to church before, and he's, he actually believes that Jesus is... is is a savior, but he also goes to the temple. So in my conversations to him, because I'm listening to him, I know that this is something that I can, I can bring into the conversation. I need to say to him, look, Jesus is the only way, right? He's the only way you ever get to God because that's what the Bible says itself. And Jesus is the only one who dies on the cross to forgive us of our sin. You know, it's like by listening to people and understanding them, it helps you to speak wisely and have seasoned with sort conversations with them. But that's not the only way, right? The only way is to be intensely curious about people. Do we really want to know more about people? Do we really know, want to know what it's like to walk in their shoes and to think like they do? That involves asking questions, right, beyond the surface questions. We want to really dig down below and see what people are really like. In fact, by asking questions, you can actually see the real obstacles or the barriers that stop people from coming to faith in Jesus. 
So there's this person I know who I really want to share uh, the Bible with, want to share the gospel of Jesus with. But after talking to him quite a while, I realized that he gets really angry every time I bring up Jesus with him. And the reason is because one of his family members belongs to a cult. Now that I understand that one of his members belongs to a cult, there's no point for me to try to show to him that the Bible is real or that you can trust the Bible. What I really need to show to him is that actually there are all sorts of different churches, right? There are good churches and there are bad churches and not just and, and not, not every church is a good church. And just because his relative is in a bad church doesn't mean that Jesus is not real and Jesus is not saviour and Jesus didn't die on the cross. By asking questions, we learn so much about where people are coming from, right? Maybe a person has been treated badly by other Christians. Maybe a person has gone to church and been disappointed by Christians. Maybe a person is worried that if they become a Christian, their relatives and family members uh, will not be saved. Or maybe that person is worried that their family will be angry with them if they become a Christian. So asking questions is really important because you want to be curious about where people are really at. Lastly, I think being compassionate is also really important for us in being wise and being seasoned with salt. Part of our problem as Christians is we can actually be proud and arrogant and exclusive, right? We think that we are better than other people. We think that the non-believer is like the enemy, right? As I was reading about this Christian couple who had this uh, gay couple who moved next door to them. Now, what would you do? Imagine if you're a Christian and then you had a gay couple who moved next door to you as neighbours. You, you may feel like, oh, I don't want to get to know them. Right? I, don't, I, don't, I don't prove what they're doing. So I'm going like, to just be really cold to them. But this Christian couple showed compassion to them, right? They invited them over for meals, tried to understand where they're coming from, tried to identify the struggles that they may feel as, as, a, as a gay person, right? Like, what, what, what discrimination they may feel. By showing compassion to them, it then gave them the opportunity to witness Jesus into their life. See, to be wise and to be seasoned with salt requires us to really hear, to be really curious about other people, and to be compassionate with them. What do we learn today? Faithfulness to Jesus is not just about ethical living, Bible knowledge, or coming to church, having fellowship. God tells us that we need to be devoted to prayer, and we also need to be serious about witnessing to Jesus in our lives, making the most of every opportunity. So there are some things which naturally go together, right? So if you have mala, then you need chili. Right? You can't say, hey, I want mala, no chili, right? If you want nuggets, then usually you must have curry sauce. Okay? If you want satay, then you need peanut sauce, right? You, like, can you imagine, I, I want satay but no sauce for me, thanks. In the same way, as a Christian, prayer needs to come together, right? And if you're a Christian, then witnessing for Jesus needs to come together as well. I remember there was this Christian man that I really admire, his name was Dudley Ford. He's the father of Marty Ford, who's the principal of ETC Asia, the theological college. 
So you imagine how old Marty is now, right? So you imagine how old Dudley was. But he was this guy who was really old. He could have been just relaxing in his, uh, in his retirement. But he was telling us how he's always on the lookout to invite neighbors to his house to eat for dinner, ask them over for a cup of tea. He's like perpetually asking his neighbors to come over to his house because he wanted to have opportunities to share Jesus with them. And this is really counter-cultural thinking because for us generally is we have no time for people, we have no energy for other people. We feel like our, we have no space for people, right? I've got enough relationships already, why do I need more people to come into my life? But the Bible actually tells us that if we are Christians, then we want to make the most of every opportunity. We want to truly be able to witness to Jesus. Grab those opportunities that we look for discounts, look for offers, look for the best price. doesn't mean that they will all become safe, but it's part of our Christian life. Part of actually being faithful to Jesus. Praying, sharing the good news of Jesus with the people that we come across. Let's bow our heads and go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for you've given us your son, Jesus. He is all we need. He is over all creation. He sustains creation. He is over all power and authority in this world. And he is all God. And he is all we need for our forgiveness, for, forgiveness, uh, for our salvation, for the kingdom, and for our glory. Hey, Father, help us to see that our response in trust and faithfulness to Jesus is not just in our sanctification and holiness, not just in growing in our Bible knowledge or our fellowship, but also in being devoted to prayer, to be wakeful, to be thankful, and also to be witnessing Jesus to the world around us. We pray that we grab and seize every opportunity that we truly are wise and seasoned with salt and full of grace in all the conversations that we have with the people around us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. So we'll take this opportunity to reflect on the message. Um, Pastor Andrew actually has uh, prepared some reflection questions. The first one is, how am I witnessing to Christ in my life? And uh, what opportunities can I seize? All right, so we're going to take about uh, four to five minutes uh, to let's just turn to our neighbors and we can use these uh, reflection questions right, to have a chat you know, about what we've just listened to. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.